0: Humans, welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct, We're your hosts, Lauren and Adam,
1: we dive headfirst into conversations, breaking down things like religion and purity, culture, sex, spirituality and the world around us.
0: Although we now consider ourselves to be somewhere between agnosticism and mystical atheism, we often speak from our experiences from our time spent in the Christian music industry and religious upbringing.
1: We bring on a variety of guests to hear their story and help demystify topics that we were once taught to fear or ignore. Expanding the lenses through which we see the world.
0: We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. everyone welcome back to the podcast today we have Stell. she is currently working full-time as a legal specialist for a law firm and she's passionate about law policy and research she has international experience with refugees having spent four y- four consecutive months on the ground in mosul iraq working with an international ngo she currently volunteers with the irc and helps asylum seekers settle in the states she is an AmeriCorps alumni member and has worked with the Arizona Supreme Court, helping less privileged and under-resourced populations re-enter society. Stell, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Very happy
0: to be here. So happy to have you. Um, okay, so you have quite the the bio. You are you have quite the heavy work <laughs> that you do, um, and yeah. I know from experience from. Just having met you in real life, you're also quite a busy person. Um, Mm -hmm. You were, you know, doing a lot of work while we were together, you know, this past weekend in Joshua Tree, Mm -hmm. um, for those Mm -hmm. who don't know me, and like, what was it, like 14 other women?
1: (laughs) All the incredible Um, women of deconstructing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. We all went to Joshua Tree and hung out, um, and so I got to meet Stell there. But, you know, so you're a busy person, but today I want to, I don't want to focus on um, I don't want to focus on your, your childhood stuff. Although I do want to kind of briefly talk about it if that's okay. Um, cause your story, yeah. your story is already out there through Brenda. God is gray and, um, there, but there are just maybe people that haven't heard and don't know your story. And so we, again, we aren't going to focus on that today, but if you don't mind, would you tell us a bit about how you grew up in regards to your faith story?
2: Absolutely. Um, so yeah, like you said, my story is um, out there, so this will be a pretty brief um, kind of overview. Um, I basically grew up in um, fundamentalism in uh, rural Oregon. Um, I grew up in uh, attended a very, very small quote unquote church. Um, it was called a home fellowship, so we only met in homes. We didn't have a church building. Um, By any definition, it was a cult. Um, There was extreme control exerted over who got to be a part of it or who was kicked out. Um, Kind of all the classics of fundamentalism, we had subjugation of women, um, different forms of abuse, Um, corporal punishment was regularly practiced and preached. And the whole connection um, through Brenda kind of came about because someone from that group Um, is pretty present online. And Brenda had kind of addressed some of the things um, theology wise that he was, you know, talking about. And I knew that person personally. And so I reached out to Brenda and was like, thank you so much for addressing this. Um, Because at that time, I had kind of cut all ties. um, And I didn't really think about it that much. I had moved on with my life. And um, yeah, and then that developed from there. And then I ended up, deciding that it was the right thing to talk about what was happening. Um, Cause while the group that church group is very, very small, again, I'm using church as a very loose term, but while that group was very small, um, the online presence of several key players in that group was very large. And so um, there's just kind of a disconnect with my childhood and then kind of growing up and seeing all these Instagram accounts, basically peddling a lifestyle that um, is extremely harmful just objectively and yeah, so I spoke up about it, that and yeah, and that's kind of the connection with Brenda and then how I found Morgan. So yeah, that's the brief overview. Yeah.
0: I remember whenever I was, I went to look at like all the accounts that basically she had called out through th- mm. during that time. Um, and it it's so eerie because so many of those accounts look so happy Mm -hmm. and put Mm -hmm. together, um, and just family oriented and could really confuse any innocent onlooker. Um, and for those who don't know, um, can you tell us what corporal punishment is?
2: Yeah. So there, there's actual definitions of this. So after I gave the interview, I had some pushback from, um, people, uh, from my past of like, what you're talking about is normal, and people practice it everywhere. And um, that's, I'm like, thank you. That's exactly my point. Yeah. Um, and uh, corporal punishment basically means using a tool to implement physical pain as a punishment. Mm. Right. So whether that's a sin thing, whether that's a quote-unquote sin thing, whether that's you know your parent is mad at you, anything like that can is considered corporal punishment, and it's using an instrument. So like a I don't know if there needs to be a trigger warning on this, but like a a switch or a belt or a paddle, it's just using instrument to inflict um, pain. And in my particular um, circumstance, it was taken to an extreme and that's kind of why, um, and and a lot of people really resonated with it. So I don't think it's that um, rare. Unfortunately, a lot of people um, still do it. Um, And across across cultures, across um, different upbringings, across different denominations, it's one of those things that's I think is a cycle of trauma. it's done to you, and then you think that's the only way to basically raise your kids yeah um, but unfortunately with in in that specific small church um, environment, it was just way over the line um i my personal belief is that there should never be any hitting ever um but in that circumstance, it was just so far so far over the line um, and there's lots of you know studies and things and the Michael Pearl connection was made, um, when I gave the interview with Brenda and obviously there's, you know, international stories of abuse happening with that and kids dying from it. And it's a whole thing. It's a, it's a thing, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's that. that It's interesting.
1: It's interesting because I know like when we were on tour, we had started Mm -hmm. dating and prior to any sort of deconstruction Mm -hmm. spiritually for us, one of the main things that I feel like Lauren was really into was gentle parenting as like a YouTube channel following about, and I I think it was, Mm -hmm. it was, it really was a gateway drug into a lot of the stuff that is deconstructing because, because Mm -hmm. it's such a, it's so normalized corporal punishment Mm -hmm. and, and any sort of abuse in family homes as, as a form of correction and, and spiritual cleansing or however you want to call it uh mm-hmm. is so normalized that I feel like th- the moment that we had considered, or Lauren even specifically, because at the time it was very much like YouTube land was Lauren's escape and respite from mm-hmm. the con- the conservative Christian Tour. music community that we were in. We were mm-hmm. constantly subjected to these opinions and these patriarchal figures and and lifestyles. And so it was like, it was this mm-hmm. peaceful place where she would just sit and watch for hours just people being kind to their children and and allowing space for them to feel their own feelings and have their own autonomy and and I feel like the fact the fact that that is is a gateway into deconstructing your faith is 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 a very interesting pipeline as as the kids are coining these days because (laughs) because it shouldn't be I feel like I feel like things like G- gentle parenting, talking to your kids, h- having them explain their feelings, and working through, working through problematic behavior in, in in a calm and peaceful and productive and constructive way is should be normal. And and mm-hmm. it was just it's just so interesting because that was that was such a very specific thing that I don't think was even intentional.
0: I totally forgot about that. I'm not I'm not even going to lie to you. Like I forgot. Mm-hmm. So if you can trace the steps. Really? Mm-hmm. So I went I went vegan, right? So and that's when I was like yeah. a super activist vegan. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. from there I was like okay, kindness, gentle you, you said
1: let's not hurt animals and then you said, "Hey, maybe let's not hurt each other too."
0: Yeah, and so then I went mm-hmm. to gentle parenting. I've always been obsessed with like parenting and birth and all that mm-hmm. stuff even though I'm not one. Uh, I'm not a mother. Um I I've always just been very intrigued and yeah, so then we went into gentle parenting. Like I went into that kind of space. And then from there, I remember bringing that up to my mother yeah. on mm-hmm. tour. That's so interesting mm-hmm. that you bring that up because I totally forgot about that because, you know, mm-hmm. you know my parents were fine with spanking. It well, wasn't like all the time. But like I feel
1: like it's very divorced from people's understanding of what deconstructing is, because I don't true. think people realize how common, as you're saying, Stel, how common mm-hmm. corporal punishment really is. As you're hearing all of these stories of people resonating with your story, I feel like that's just got to be I, I can't even imagine what that would feel like hearing mm-hmm. hearing your own story resonated back at you so, so often.
2: Yeah, I think it's a it's a conditioning type of thing where people just get normalized to violence. And I think that's a lot of religion just being normalized to all kinds of different violence and not realizing like, oh, this is a problem. Um You know, and I think the systems of authority that are so pervasive in, you know, fundamentalist religion um, basically enables the abuse to happen and be perpetrated without any sort of accountability. Right. Because the whole thing is that the man is the head of the house. So whatever choice and he has direct access to God. So whatever choice he's making and whatever he's inflicting is completely there's literally no no escape from that because it's a it's a systematic thing, which is how it was in our house. Like there yeah. was no, um, like balance of power or balance of authority. It was just like, cause my dad was not only my dad, he was the elder of the group. So there was completely nobody else to go to. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I saw this thing, I think it was on Twitter, but it was like this, this, um, meme or statement or whatever talking about, you know, it's illegal to hit adults. So right. why is it legal right. to hit children? It makes no sense. Like if you stop to think about it, you're like, Wow, like what am I even doing and where did this idea come from mm. to a point where you're not only feeling like okay with hitting a child, but you're feeling like it's the right thing to do. Well, I mean, and-
1: when you're reading the Bible Freaky. and it's talking about sacrificing your child for a God <laughs> yeah. as the like, <laughs> I mean, that's like the starter starter pack for raising kids in the Bible oh my is... Your God is so much more important that this thing is just a sacrifice. All this thing Sheesh. is is something that you are supposed to offer up into the Lord, so you can prove your holiness. Dang,
0: yeah. Right. So how do right. you work?
1: How do you work backward from there? Like honestly, it's it's mm-hmm. constant throughout the Bible where it's just abuse and then and then glorification and abuse and glorification. So how do you separate? Right. Yeah. As a Christian, how do you separate the the glorification of your family and the leadership? and your counsel as a parent from, from abuse. And I I don't know that it's possible staying in that Mm -hmm. conservative Christian space.
2: Yeah. I think there's, there's a huge, uh, which you guys talk about, there's a huge um, divorce and divide between, you know, what you feel Is actually right, and there's so much disconnection internally with yourself if you are in a fundamentalist religious circle, Mm. because you're you're taught from you know the moment you're born to not trust yourself, to not trust your intuition, right? Which we've all talked about multiple times, to only listen to the Bible, which is full of violence, or to only listen to the male authorities in your life, Mm. you know. Um, And so there's just really no like stopping and being like, does this actually feel right to me? Or is this just right. like something someone's telling me I have to do? Um, yeah. So I was definitely I,
0: taught the umbrella thing that you were talking. I don't know if you were given that, right. that, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That the man of the house yeah. is like, he, he's yeah. like the umbrella anyway. Right. No, I was I mean, taught that. And I also,
1: <laughs> I think, I think that's one of the primary <laughs> points of, of feminism that, that at some point we will approach with men that what? that the harmful nature of that conversation of, oh, of yeah. the umbrella of the male of the house, because uh, honestly there's never been any, there's never been any social repercussion for men from a patriarchal mm-hmm. system at this point. So we need to break down the things that are a little bit more practical, but I think at some point that that specifically is something that's going to, that's going to need to be addressed.
0: Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember, I didn't, again, I don't remember what was said when and to who. But this weekend, I remember um, bringing up when Adam was told, or was it you or was I told um, by family members that they were worried about us getting married because...
1: Oh, I was told. You were
0: told, okay, okay.
1: Very directly.
0: (laughs) That (laughs) they were concerned for us because Adam wasn't a, a a leader. He was not like a natural leader in our relationship or it, I guess in general, they were saying. And so that they were worried that he would let me just go off the rails. <laughs> and well... Welcome to
1: the podcast, Off the Rails.
0: <laughs> they were oh kind of right. So I guess they had a right to be concerned.
2: <laughs> yeah. Because that's, you did. That's And that's a common thing that happens. I've heard that a lot where... The, you know, the guy's just like an actually chill person who's like actually a human being. And <laughs> it's like, oh, how dare you? How dare you? Like, not so, me fronting all the time,
1: Adam. <laughs> I am. I'm so curious for you. You grew up in these spaces and this was the reality for you for so long. But you also talk about how you loosely define your your community as a church. Was there a point where you were in it or on, on the tail end of it where you wanted to figure out what church actually was for most people or was it something that you just wanted to leave behind the moment that you were ready to step away from it
2: it's really interesting yeah I mean it's really it, it, is, it cracks me up like the whole reason I'm not religious anymore and not interested in the church anymore is because of religious people um, and I think that the consistent experience of mine has been no matter if it's a more conservative person, or if it's a more liberated person is there's, uh, what I call systematic structural issues, um, in the church. And I, you know, and, and I just get tired of going up against that all the time and Mm -hmm. and having these basic conversations that should not be conversations. You know, I just, I, I got real tired real fast. So the way it kind of happened was I, I, Um, we might get into this a little bit later, but, um, I'm lesbian. So, and I knew that for a long time and, um, you know, it was a slow realization of like, okay, like this is not going away. This is going to be a thing for life. And as I was like living my own life, I had moved, um, away and was living my own life, working my own job. And my strategy was to kind of just like play it cool um, until, um, my youngest sibling was old enough and was in college and then kind of come out and be like, Hey, this is so everyone would have the chance to make their own decision. Mm. Um, and then the thing with Brenda and I did that, um, because I felt like it was the right thing to do at that time. Um, it kind of propelled and pushed everything forward about a million miles an hour. Yeah. Um, so after that happened, everybody knew everybody in my life knew, um, not about me being gay, but just about like the 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 backstory and um, obviously my family found out that way and um, yeah so there wasn't really a lot of going back I don't think and um, the reaction after the interview from religious people that I got was shocking like it was it floored me and I'm not saying like publicly online it was received pretty well but like I lost personal friends over it. Um, My mom has not talked to me since. Most of my family completely like turned the other way has not talked to me since. Cousins, aunts, uncles, it was like crazy. So I kind of took a step back and I was like, okay, so if, if people are really caring about justice and mercy and love or whatever, then why are all these people who are religious, who publicly talk about they're against abuse and they're against all these kinds of things, Why are they not engaging with me, right? Mm -hmm. And something that still perplexes me to this day is that when I gave the interview with Brenda, it's extremely well thought through, well, like, you know, I'm not screaming. I'm not, you know, feeling myself burning my bra. You know, it's very, (laughs) it's very like logical and, you know, the subject matter is upsetting, but we tried to approach it in a very like fair way. Yeah, And so does this have everyone kind of turn the other way? I very quickly was like, oh, okay, so, you know, people, th- th- this kind of religious viewpoint is not necessarily going to be there for me. Mm. And I really, I have friends that are religious, and I have friends that aren't religious, and I'm very, very chill with like, whoever, anyone, you know, whatever anyone wants to do. Um where the problem kind of comes in is when I see religious people either looking the other way or not stepping up the way they need to. And then I always will address it when that happens. Um, I had a recent circumstance in my life with someone I knew that was giving me um, grief over me, just merely reposting um, the young life um, situation that's going on. Reached reached out to me, DM me, Hey, this is kind of offensive. You kind of post about religion a lot and like, I'm religious, I work for Young Life, and they don't mean it or something like that along those lines. And, right. and I just get tired of those discussions all the time, you know, and especially after when the interview first happened, I just got tired. And I was like, you know what, I cannot teach you the alphabet. <laughs> yeah. I Why am I having to have this conversation explained to you? that it is so inappropriate for you to be reaching out to me. And why are you not going to young life? You know, why are you not posting about this stuff? If you say you really care about, you know, the poor and the suffering and, you know, it's just like I so there's kind of a a disconnect for me between um what people say and what they do and um yeah. that divide is is very large unfortunately with yeah. the church. So I kind of just do my own thing and I really respect everyone and I just want everyone else to respect others as well. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but
0: yeah, for sure.
2: So do you,
0: um, so outside of being a part of any sort of church, do you consider yourself religious or, or non-religious or spiritual or anything like that? Like, is there any sort of way that you do identify
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I I have a specific take on it. Um, Mm. I'm really comfortable with the unknown. And I've kind of always been comfortable. So I don't feel like I need to nail it down. Um, As long as people are like liberating themselves and expansively thinking about spirituality, I think that it's there's not a lot of harm in it. I do think I think I said this this week, this past weekend, but I do think that Religion does not make you a better person. I think you are who you are. And if you use religion to kind of extend, you know, parts of your life and parts of your community, that's great. But I think there's this concept that if you're religious, then it's going to make you act in a certain way. And statistically, that's just not true. I think that people are who they are, and then they practice religion. And if you're a good person, and you practice religion, then you're probably not going to hurt anybody. And if you're a bad person and practice religion, which is a lot of people in religion, then... You're gonna cause harm
1: well, so, I mean honestly yeah. religion is always just an echo echo chamber, so it's going to reverberate and and mm-hmm. and it's gonna grow the thing in you that mm-hmm. screams the loudest right like yeah. like if you are somebody who wants to be controlling you're gonna find a religion that tells you that that's okay it's gonna tell you right. something that that's what makes you holy it's you, right. if you if you are you know any any number yeah. of things it's it's going to be the thing that you find because because and maybe this is a little bit pessimistic of me but like religion is nothing but the machinations of a human being trying to describe and trying to trying to level with their own consciousness and right. so like if you find a god that you believe in it's going to look a lot like you
2: right and exactly s- and but so that's it's <laughs> it, well for
1: sure, which is why I think I, I think it's really problematic when you get people who are abusive in power. And I think it's also why people who maybe previously weren't, but find themselves in places of power surrounded by massive groups of people, they're going to become the culmination of the most predominant trait of those people, and people who right. are looking for something that's going to perpetuate something like corporal punishment you're going to become the leader that you have to be for that space. And I think it's going to make, and it's going to make, I can't even say a villain because that doesn't feel like the right word, but it will make, it will bring the worst out of you. It will, it will subject you to becoming something that maybe you would have otherwise not. And I, one of the, one of the first things that we really started seeing when we were deconstructing our faith was that maybe it would have been better had some people not become Christians. Um, and that, and that's something that was really hard initially.
2: Mm. 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 Yeah. I mean, I, so I don't think a lot about it, um, in terms of like, am I, am I not? I, I think like so much, I came from a, my background is so hyper-focused on purity and like, it's such a select group of like who was like doing it the right way. So I kind of like now have an aversion to like nailing down exactly. But you know, I think like I could get behind a religion where there's not like a systematic like power structure. You know, where there's yeah. not like. So it's really the the power imbalance that bothers me. So yeah. maybe one day I'll become a Quaker and because they have meetings <laughs> for no one's in charge. That you know? that
1: is the. Yeah. The religion that we've always been, anytime we take one of those tests online, it's the thing oh, really? that always tells us that we it's should like, be.
0: What does it say? Like, oh, that's awesome. Is it, is it called
1: progressive? I, I don't even remember. It's... Liberal.
0: Yeah, there, Liberal there's two, Quakerism or something. Yeah,
2: there's two types. So the the one that's that's very chill and like literally no one's in charge. They just meet and serve each other and like be yeah. nice to each other. And I'm like, yeah, that's chill. i would be down with
0: that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there's no, I mean, for me, I feel like I haven't taken that taken that test in a while but i feel like that would probably still fit you adam because it's very like yeah. community and service and
1: yeah well i mean it even like kumbaya it, even at the ground roots of that it would fit me because my mom grew up uh, yeah it mennonite so oh, okay so she was like 11 brothers and sisters no <laughs> electricity no plumbing so it's no just nothing. like Battle. it's just genetic up on a farm so i'm be- like eh, it would make sense that i end up going back to making my own clothes and living on a farm <laughs> yeah just with some religion that's a little bit less fundamental
0: so okay speaking of power and and Uh authority um Uh (laughs) no i just i'm curious what what made you you want to work with the military
2: oh yeah okay well so there there's a couple different um elements to this so I, um, back in the day, I wanted to write a book and I was going to write a book that had something to do with the military. And so I ended up getting a military editor because I cold, uh, I cold called a, um, base that was near my house at that time. Yeah, And I was like, Hey, I'm writing this book, but I need to be realistic. Can I come in and interview, you know, the, the soldiers there? Cause I I was very young. I was like 16. You were ready to be Um, in the Lord's army. I apparently, um, <laughs> yeah, so, or 17. I think that was true. Um, but yeah, I, I um, ended up doing that. And nothing really came of it. But I kind of just became familiar. And then I decided, um, after I had moved out and everything, I was like, I would really love to be like a wartime reporter hmm. and be in the Middle East. And that really appealed to my sense of adventure. And so yeah, I just kind of started contracting and I was a civilian public affairs officer. So I traveled around and wrote and took pictures. And um, yeah, so did that. And that's kind of the connection there. And yeah, it was an interesting time. It was really bizarre to go from, you know, an environment that was so man focused to another environment that was so man focused, but without the religious aspect. So the misogyny in the military, specifically the army, because that's what I had experience with was out of control. So I kind of went from Having no control and no protection in my life to the same thing, but without the religion, the religious aspect of it. So, um, yeah, it was it was definitely a lot. There's there's not a lot of um, systems in place that protect people, but I'm a I'm an Enneagram eight, so I kind of adjusted very quickly. And yeah. I just became like the there was um, at the time there was about 22 women that were all on the same public affairs group. And I just ended up being like the wing woman always, you know, making sure yeah. people weren't, you know, going home with the person they should not and just protecting yeah. people. And because it's it's definitely a um it, it's kind of the Wild West. You know, the military is very interesting, but it was obviously a an interesting experience, you know.
1: Yeah. So, all yeah. of all of my family is um ex-military or law enforcement and so like my great uncle (laughs) is still a contractor out in iraq and afghanistan oh wow Um, Wow, yeah so it's like i've constantly been surrounded by that energy and stories about those kind of places and like
2: And my, yeah, and my experience could be completely different. Someone else could obviously have, I'm not trying to, but from what I experienced over the course of four or five years was just a lot of just, would you agree with that, Adam? Oh,
1: absolutely. No. I mean, it's entirely, (laughs) I, the person that I am now is not necessarily like an objection to the, the, the personalities that I was around that were grown in those kind of spaces, but like, Mm. yeah, it was, but also it kind was of. formed by it. It was formed <laughs> yeah. by seeing that misogyny. It was formed by seeing that power that was just unbridled, given to yep. men for no reason, um, yeah. with with a license to do whatever it is that they pleased and a government that would back them up. And I don't think that's dissimilar to Christianity. And I think that parallel was drawn pretty early on for me. Interesting. Um, that's crazy.
2: I had the same. Yeah. That's very interesting. I mean, wow. especially
1: growing up in Minnesota, I was 45 minutes from John Piper's church predestination and militaristic mindset are very, very similar. <sighs>
2: that's so true.
1: Um, yeah, and so, so it was just like, uh, I, when I, when I had heard about that, uh, I was just so curious if like, so clearly you're on the other side of that now, were you ever able to find spaces within the communities that you were serving, um, where you were able to escape that, that, With very, the military? Very, yeah, that very heavily patriotic. Like, were you ever able to step outside of just the oh, military no. confines, or was it just always very, very structured and rigid?
2: Very structured, very rigid. Um, are we do you guys like bleep swearing? Are we allowed to swear? Yeah, Absolutely, yeah.
0: you can swear all yeah, you want. Yeah. We don't
2: bleep anything. Okay, well, so. The, the problem with that environment is that the men all want to fuck you and the women mm. are jealous of you right. and hate you. And no one knew I was a lesbian at the time. And so, cause I didn't really know myself. All I knew was that, okay, I'm not sleeping with men. Everyone yeah. else is into this. Why am I not into this? I don't understand. Um, which is something I want to touch on like that whole disconnection from sexuality mm. that happens to women constantly in religion. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so I it was very rough. It was very, very rough because, um, yeah, everyone who was nice to me ended up, you know, being a terrible person, a terrible right. man specifically, um, had a lot of just really um, horrible shit happen. Um, so yeah, it was definitely, because um, in, in one sense, I'm not sheltered because I did grow up um, in a fairly violent, I would say, environment, um, which... You know, I, people define that in different ways, but you know, I don't know. And then to go from that to just kind of being like dropped in this environment where no one's, you know, filtering or protecting in some ways, like anything, like nothing's vetted. Everyone just has like access to you. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was a it was a learning process. Um, but in some ways, I kind of understood it because my um my dad is very authoritarian, so right. like I got it at the same time. I was like, oh okay, so this is what it is, and this is how you you operate.
0: Um, Yeah. I almost wonder if like you, did if you didn't go into that right away, like if it would have been, if the world, if like a soft space that you landed, if you did that right after like, you know, turning 18 or whatever, if you landed in some soft, soft spot, would that have been so unfamiliar and uncomfortable to you? Or um, like, was it almost necessary for you to go from
1: Was it a familiar transition? Yeah, was it a
0: familiar transition in the sense of, like, was it necessary in order to transition you out of your family dynamic?
2: Very interesting. I didn't really think that much through it at the time. Um, I was more just, like, strategizing as far as, like, okay, if I want to be an overseas reporter, I should have experience with the military. I should have a stint in the Middle East because I kind of researched, like, how do people do this? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because it's a real, it's a real job. Like, it's a real thing. It's very risky, though. So yeah, I just kind of decided that, okay, this is how I'm going to get to my goal. But um, I think there's a lot of things that we do that we don't realize are just patterns, or it's mm. just us kind of like repeating what we know. So it's yeah. very possible that I kind of um, went in that direction, because it was fairly familiar with some of the, uh, the aspects, but Um, Yeah, it was interesting. It did. It's definitely like a hardening experience. And I think anyone who's been in the military would probably agree with that. It's it's a very just it's just an interesting environment. I think
1: in the in the same vein um, of that question of like that transition in your life. With it being such an extreme version non religious extreme version of what you'd grown up with, did that did that give you scope like did that give you perspective on what it was that you were growing up in or or like you said, was it just you weren't really there? you weren't really thinking about processing that you were just kind of like strategizing
2: um I mean I think I think if I'm understanding your question, yeah, I think it was more like um I, from a very young age, I was taught the way the world worked a certain way. And so in that way was that men have all the power and I was very aware of that. And so walking into that environment, I knew exactly how to um, operate in a way. So I think in that way, the transition was um, easy or was kind of, you know, I hate this word, but predestined because I was just like, Oh yeah, like I can, I can navigate this and I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, But I think that if I had had a different experience that where, you know, it would like Lauren was saying like a less harsh, you know, experience, I think it's possible. I would have walked away with different, potentially different conclusions. Yeah.
1: But. Well, I think, I think either way, like, I guess what I'm alluding to is like the military is basically a caricaturized version of what fundamental Christianity is. But Then again, at the the level that you were at, maybe it maybe it wasn't that far off from the reality you were already existing in. So maybe the thing that would have given you a little bit of clarity would be something like a a softer, easier space where people could really show love and 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 encourage you in different kind of ways.
2: Yeah. So yeah, I definitely did not did not think about it that much. I was just like, yeah, this is like the next step. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it. That's always been my personality. I'm just gonna do it. go for it. That's yeah. the
0: Enneagram so,
2: eight
0: yes. in you. I love that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Lauren also has an Enneagram eight in her health <laughs> or true. in her integration. So yes. it, I, I definitely recognize that <laughs> of like
2: <you're
1: laughs> stepping into something and just being like, Oh yeah, this is where I'm at now.
0: Yeah, I'm just going to do it. Okay. Um, timeline I want. So when you spoke to Brenda, um, how, how long ago is that now?
2: Um, I think we're coming up on two years in okay. spring. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. is that the same time that you came out or? Yeah. So, oh yeah, this is juicy. So, um, <laughs> so I, way back in the day, I had a one night stand and it was with a girl and no one knew that it was a girl. Cause I, you know, obviously did not want to disclose that fact. Um, and so I came out very late as far as like being open, but in private, I was doing stuff way before then. Mm. Um, so after the interview happened, I I legitimately only thought that like a handful of people would see it. My family would find out and be upset and that was going to kind of be it. And then it went so big and it was so immediate that I was like, okay, so I, I mean, I felt like my business was like completely out in the public and that was not something I was expecting at all. And like for a long time, my Instagram was on private and I barely posted and it was, I just kind of felt like hunkering down and like not
0: because yeah. it
2: was overwhelming. It was a lot, yeah but, um, kind of because of that, I was like, I have nothing to lose now. Yeah. Like I've lost my family. I've lost my community. I've lost everything I ever like had in the past. So yeah. like, what am I waiting for? Like, what's the point? Um, and the people that don't like me, don't like me already for like a lot of reasons. So it's not going to change anything really to be like, Oh, also by the way. Right. Um, (laughs) So yeah. And I didn't, and a big part of like why it took me so long to figure out that I was gay was the, the absolute like farming out of anything, um, anything that had to do with desire Like, I literally never thought about it um, Mm. growing up. I just was like, okay, like, because we were talked a lot about, like, you got to protect your heart. You got to, like, be pure and not touch guys. And I was like, this is so easy. (laughs) Why is everyone whining about this all the time? You know, I was like, what the heck? I was like, this is fine. And me and my, you know, uh, sisters would talk and they'd be like, oh, do you think this guy's hot? Do you think that, and I just would be like, oh and I remember one time one of my sisters got really angry she was like how can you not think this person is attractive and I was like I don't know, I don't <laughs> know um, but it wasn't until my working with the military because of the the dynamic mm. there were so like so at Fort Knox um especially like during the summer stint when I was there um there was like 8,000 cadre and then like 10,000 cadets and like literally 90%, if not higher men. Like there was just literally so many men. And um, so there was no lack of, you know, supply interest. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And at that point I was becoming more liberated and I was kind of doing what I wanted. And I was like, I really don't get why I'm not into this. Um, Yeah. And then from there, you know, kind of slowly discovered myself had the one night stand. I was like, Oh, okay. Um, And then, um, yeah, it's definitely a process. Like the whole, the whole experience is a process because it's scary. And I do still think, you know, you still always have those thoughts of like, if I just married a guy, like maybe one day, like I can get my family back, but I know that Mm, that that's not true. Um, So I still, I still deal with that every once in a while. Of like, okay, thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Um. So that's still that's still a consideration of like, all right, well, you know, but yeah, yeah.
0: well, yeah. that's, you know, what I I wanted to kind of get into as well was, you know, what what it was like for you growing up as a lesbian in, you know, the evangelical culture, you know, obviously you weren't, you weren't having trouble with temptations with the men um and you were like I can I absolutely can keep my hands off of them um but yeah so kind of kind of tell us what that was like I mean childhood preteen teen teen like kind of walk us through that
2: um well I used to be a goody two shoes, um, which I same. have a best friend and she grew up. Yeah. She grew up in this, in the same, um, church group as me. And she'd always be like, you were such a princess. I was like, how dare you? So, <laughs> so in the beginning I would, you know, when I was growing up, I was very focused on my family. I was very focused. I was the, I'm the oldest girl and I'm the second oldest. So I, you know, played a mother ish role, which all of us girls really did in our family. Um, so I was kind of just focused on that, and our family, because of the nature of that group, like went through a lot of trauma. There was mm. a lot of really, really crazy people that were a part of that group. there was like constant just like where a family would have an issue with the church and they would be our best friends, and then they'd get kicked out and then we'd never see them again like there was a lot of wow. just like constant um trauma that would happen with those kinds of things and so I didn't really think about it. And then when I was 14, I started courting a person who was 17 at the time. And I had no attraction. I had no like butterflies, but I just was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is just what you do. Right. Um, Because basically, we were taught that if you had someone you got married as soon as possible. Right. Um, And you know, we went to weddings where the girl was like, a day over 15 and it was legal so she got married. Oh Jeez. my
1: god. Well, I mean it pays oh, off yeah, in yeah, sex oh, yeah. right away, right? That was the whole that was the whole thing for conservative Christians yeah. was you couldn't yeah. have sex until then and you're horny right now. So, yeah. here
2: you go. Yeah. And then the second time I was um 16 and I actually was engaged to that person. Oh, they dang. put a ring on my finger. Yeah, so wow. they proposed. They put a ring on my finger and we were sitting by the river and I was just staring at the river and like being like, I want to die. Like, I just had this horrible, like, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. And that's something like I'm always proud of myself for because like with everything that I've been through, I still have something inside of me that just will go crazy and be like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, no matter, because we were, we were best friends with this other family. Um, everyone on both sides wanted us to get married. Right. I had been indoctrinated my entire life. This is everything I had wanted. It was a man and he was from a reputable Christian family and there was a lot of pressure. He was from Texas. So he was staying with our family. He didn't have his like own place.
0: Right. right. So this
1: was like arranged marriage without the actual confines around it.
2: Um I would say so, yeah. I mean, um, I had a sibling give me grief over it being like they were saying, Oh, it wasn't courtship, even though I have emails with that word in it from my dad to our church announcing that recording. So I'm like, I don't know Gracious. like, you know, if I say something like I can back it up, you know, but yeah. um so yeah, I would I would say it. people want to get in the weeds as far as like you know, was it that bad or was it that arranged? The problem is, is that you're indoctrinated, right? So yeah. you're, you don't have an actual choice, even if you're being told that you have a choice. Right. And because there's no escape, there's no, like, there's literally no other option. You know, you're completely reliant on your dad. And then he has a conversation with another man and your dad is one, the one who gives permission to the guy. And then the guy has access to you. Like, that's how it works. Right. So, yeah, so I just was sitting there by the river. I was, like, staring at the river. It was, like, dark. I was freezing. And I was just was like, I can't do this. And I, I told him that. I took the ring off, gave it back to him. And then we had to drive back to the house together. And I was, like, crying. And it was it a was oh. whole thing. Yeah, it was unpleasant. So, yeah. And then our relationship from there never recovered because he was very egotistical. Big shock. Um, and he just became a very, very mean person. And so we broke up like three months ish after that. Um, and then I kind of just didn't focus on it. I, I was so indoctrinated. I just was like, I'm either not going to think about this or this is just not in the cards for me. And then I was just focused on survival after that. So it wasn't until I'd actually, um, been with a woman. I was like, Oh, this is what, this is what this is. Yeah.
1: That's interesting that you say that you found basically from, I I, maybe I'm reading between the lines, but you found that in that moment that there was a part of you that would fight for you, whether Mm. or not you were conscious of it. Like, yeah, like there, there was something in you that was going to tell you like, you cannot do this. You can't do this. And there's something else for you. And that's, Mm. that's, I feel like that's, so important, but so unfortunate that there had to be that for you because the structure wasn't around you to do that. Like there wasn't (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) the pressure. Like I can't, it's so hard to describe the pressure of that environment where you're like, you feel like everyone's going to be disappointed in you. And after we had gotten back to the house, um, this person started just ignoring me, even though he was staying at our family's house. Yeah, and eventually I was like, "Hey, can we like have a talk? Because we need to like talk through what had happened. This is very traumatic, um, etc." And yeah. by the way, my dad gave him permission to ask me. He he had said to this person, "You can ask her. She's going to say no, but like you have my permission." Which oh, again, like my, yeah, yeah. So you're like, "Where's the protection?" You know what yeah. the f- yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but okay. also I was young. This person is older than me. Blah blah blah. So it's it's a whole thing. But after that, obviously he got very upset. And so we were going to, ha- we had this conversation, which was instigated by me. And I was like, let's just talk it out and like calm down basically. Cause he was giving me the cold shoulder. Right. So I was like, all right, let's talk it out. And we sat down and, and I was like, all right, let me know. Like what's on your mind. What are you thinking? He's like, you're either a flirt or you're a liar. Because
1: mm. Oh yes, no. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. So I just, I like stared at him and Oh, and by the way, speaking of this story, this person had only been seeing me for four or five weeks when he proposed the prize yes yes and it was long distance because he was from texas so it was a very very short time period which is very very common um but yeah he decided that in that
1: time your support structure (laughs) gave the okay for you to be asked for a hand in marriage
2: yeah you know it's okay. I made up for it. I've been with lots of ladies, but yeah. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, you have, you charming yeah. little devil, you.
2: I'm good now, dad. Thanks so much for <laughs> nothing. Yeah, but, um, oh gosh. but anyway, but another layer to this story is, so I mentioned earlier when we were talking that there had been someone who got married when they were a day over 15 and that was this person's sister. So they were in Texas. We went down to their wedding as a wow. family and while I was there, I was 12 years old. And at that time, this person who was, I think, five years older than me had expressed interest to my father yeah. when I was 12. And my dad had said, well, you're going to have to, like, give it some time. Well, anyway." clearly.
1: And,
2: well, <laughs> well <laughs> and then full circle, this person ends up proposing to me. But so we have we have this conversation and he, he says what he says. You're either a flirt or a liar. And I just like saw red. I just like stared at him and got up and like left the room. I was like, I'm not. I'm not doing this. And I went outside. We had this like really big um, we were our property at the time was against um, BLM. So there was like a lot of wilderness area. And I just Mm -hmm. like went out and cried and I was crying. And my mom came out and found me and she was like, why are you crying? Pull yourself together. And you're being really selfish right now that you're having this reaction. And there's like more people in this situation than just you um yeah from the sounds of
1: it the way the whole conversation went between you and that person and your parents the Mm. only person that didn't exist in that situation was you the only person Mm. like for him to tell you you're either a flirt or a liar is just saying my perception of the way that you interact with the world is the only thing that really matters and is the only thing that determines who you are so which Mm. one is it
2: Mm. and
1: and it sounds like so was it was it from that moment on that you decided to kind of figure out who you were and what it is that you wanted. Like, because clearly there's, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some processing that happens between that. And then you having a one night stand with a woman and realizing what your love story is actually going to look like. And, and I'm just curious what, what, Mm -hmm. what did that process look like for you? Was that very intrinsic? Was that something that you were processing through on your own or was it something that you needed to have, like, did you have relationships with other women and trying to figure out what, what you were to them rather than what you were to this clearly young boy? Hey, everyone. I want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think the biggest disconnection, which happens for everyone um, who, you know, of any gender of any sexuality, um, there's such there's so little focus on happiness, and like, what actually makes me happy. And I think when I started to ask myself that question, that's when I started to like, open my mind of like, oh, there's, maybe there's something else that I'm like, missing. Um, cause I just accepted that I wasn't going to be happy. Yeah. Like it was just a given from a pretty young age. I was just like, all right, you know, happiness is just probably not going to, which is kind of a crazy thing for a small person to just accept.
0: Yeah. But I, was I like, did yeah, too.
2: You know, the only thing I, when I was younger, the only thing I thought is like, if I can end up with a guy who doesn't hit me, then I'll be fine. Mm. And that's it. And I don't really care like any about anything else because mm-hmm. I'm not into men. So like men don't really offer anything to me, like sexually, especially where I'm like, I need you for this. So it was more like I have to get married. I hope that he's a nice person. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was about it. Yeah. And because so I've, I've supported myself since I moved out. And so I kind of always was focused on survival after that. So I I just wasn't prioritizing or using sex as a way to kind of escape my life. Um, I just happened to not be someone who necessarily engages with that. I wish I could, but for whatever reason, just didn't pan out that way. Um, So for a long time, I just didn't think about it. I just was like, all right, well, I just got to work and I have to pay bills. And this is really overwhelming. So I'm going to do that. Um, And yeah, and then it was more just like hearing other people, you know, talk about what a relationship could bring right um, after and then I was like oh maybe I am missing out and right. should like look for this and and give myself a chance for happiness because I deserve I deserve that so right yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. as as we yeah. all do if we desire a relationship we all deserve to have a happy one and I and um I I don't know if you know that part of my story that I used to be engaged to someone else um I don't know uh well that was like the the peak the pinnacle for my life um when I decided to break off that engagement um but yeah I had basically I had decided through I mean at a young age like you said um I even believed that happiness was like a gateway sin um like where happiness is like only a feeling it can and it can lead to like the devil tempting you in other ways or something. So right. I never allowed myself to feel a full happy feeling. Um right. something always had to like taint it or I don't know. I had I had to have some sort of thorn in my flesh, if you will. Um right. and or
1: you were always waiting for the thing that was gonna go topple wrong. the house of cards.
0: Right. Um well yeah. and for me in the and that relationship that I was in It was hard and it was not fun. And um, that was that was uh, whenever I kind of woke up to, hey, like this person isn't my fairy tale. They aren't my best friend. I'm not in love with them. They're not in love with me. Um, But I'm literally getting married in five months. Uh, maybe there's got to be something else.
1: And you've been told marriage is hard. So you were like, Right. And that whoa. was
0: one of the biggest things was that. Already there. Yeah. I yes. That marriage was hard. And I was like, Oh, well, I'm used to that. Like me and this guy, like we used to fight all the time. And so I was like, cool. So like I, I'm, I'm prepared. And I was never, I was never taught to chase what lights me up. You know, what, what brings me happiness that was never considered. If anything, it was very much, um, discouraged because again, like I said, it was like this gateway sin.
2: Right. Yeah. And that's, that's something I wanted to, I had told you before, like I wanted to touch on exactly what you're, you're saying right now. So there's this huge, huge problem where women specifically are not in, in religious circles are literally not in touch with what makes them happy. And this is something And it's honestly pervasive in the the greater culture as well, you know, where women are just like, yeah, like I, I have a partner and they've literally never asked me like what I like in bed, for instance, ever, Mm. like ever. And I just don't think about it. And we just kind of like, and it's fine. And I'm like, okay, like, hold up, you know, Yeah. and, and, but in the church, it's, it's, you know, it's taken to such a, um, a huge, um, like greater level, because even if you're internally feeling happiness about something, you feel like you have to push it down, right? You know, it's crazy. It's so crazy. Um And then so for instance, like I have, you know, I have friends who were gay and got married to men, I have friends who were ace and got married to men, I have friends who in within the church context, mm-hmm. I have a friend who got married, and they weren't sexually compatible, like the amount of, of sadness that happens for women where they literally don't know what they like or what they want and they just go their entire marriage not even like I knew I know of a um a marriage uh coach in quotation marks from the past who it took she was giving some kind of talk and she um was saying that and she's a marriage coach so she literally that's like her thing right and for the first eight years of marriage she did not have an orgasm literally oh Literally. I'm like, how is this? I mean, it just made it like breaks my heart. I'm like, this is so sad. And like women are just, we're conditioned to just accept that for ourselves. Like to be like, yeah, I just, and, and honestly, the saddest part, and this is something that's happened to me is like, you get to a point where you're so conditioned and controlled and beaten down to the point where you're like, it's more work for me to try to actualize my desires and to tap into what I want than to just remain in the status quo. Oh like, it's gosh. literally more work. Yeah. And like,
1: it-, it makes sense why she thought she needed to be a coach because she thought this was training to get through eight eight years of marriage to try mm. to, and they need somebody to help them get through it. Like, mm. that's not that's not a great place to have to be.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. I And that's the thing for me. Whenever I fell in love with Adam, <laughs> when we fell in love and I was the happiest I'd ever been, that was the pivotal conversation I had with God. I was said, mm-hmm. "If being this happy is wrong, I'm happy being wrong." And then, yeah, the- yeah. <laughs> and that was like that was the first time I had even allowed myself to utter the thought. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, once I had said that, I heard a voice. I mean, I don't really believe in a, a God necessarily anymore, but back then, in the the verbiage I used was. And then I heard God's voice say, Who do you think I am? Of course I want you to be happy. Yeah. And that kind of started breaking everything down for me. Cause then I was like, well, who who is God? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and does he does he want me to be happy? Does this God want me to be happy? So anyway, and then I started like chasing that. And it's and it, and it it was that uh basically the card the card thing that like Kevin was talking about last week. It's like, whenever you have all these cards built up mm-hmm. and, and then you, you pull one card, you pull out. one card and it all comes crashing down. Right. It's Which, actually my happiness yeah. that made everything else come crashing down.
2: Right. And and that's the thing. Like if something's true, it's not going to fall apart with yeah. one little, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And that's, it, it just was a real testament to like, e- even something that should be as simple as you, pursuing your own happiness and like taking that as like your birthright like if that's like crumbling things for a structure then mm. like there is maybe so the structure many yes structure. maybe the
0: structure has some issues
2: yeah just some issues yeah oh my gosh so yeah.
0: for anyone like who's listening in, you know depending on how we title this there might be a lesbian in the church still who listens to this episode.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, what would you What would you say to her? Um, I would say that life is incredibly short, and I had one of my best friends, um, unfortunately, pass away. Um, and after that happened, I realized, like, you know what? I have spent so much of my time trying to make other people happy, just so I could get a little love in return, you know, and the love that comes from like being authentically yourself is so overwhelming. It's so much more than you ever could need, ask or want for that you should, you should prioritize that you should prioritize finding out what genuinely truly makes you happy, you know, and I think that um love is is kind of one of those things that you you can't really taint, you know? Yeah. And and I think people go through things and, and that's the thing, like everyone's experience is different and everyone's journey is different. And someone could have come up to me when I was 16 and been like, Hey, you little Lizzie, and I would have <laughs> I would have been like, I, I would not have been connected to myself enough to understand that. So I feel kind of hesitant, maybe like giving advice, because I don't think if you're indoctrinated, it's so hard for anything to get through, because I used to be that person. Um, And, but I would just say, go after love, you know, and if love is in the direction of a person that society or the church is telling you, you shouldn't be with, then really, like, really, really consider like, why, you know, always ask yourself why. Cause that's really what's like liberated me and enabled me to like find peace and stability. It's just been like, why, you know, Mm. um, like you were saying, when you started, you know, falling in love with Adam, like, you're like, okay, like I have this feeling, um, I'm going to ask myself like, why, like what, what, what bad is going to happen? You know, if this is love, like what, am I afraid of love? No. Well, then what am I afraid of? Right. And then you just get to the bottom of it slowly, piece by piece, of like, oh, like it's other people have told me that this is a bad idea, or you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, so I would just be in tune with yourself. And I I think it's incredibly hard to come out and so hard to be, you know, gay or queer. Um, and it's it's sad. Like, like even now as someone who who does not um, quote unquote, get anything from, from men. Like I wish, you know, I wish that I could have that in terms of like, I wish I could have a family and be loved by my family of origin and fit in. And there's always that biological sense of belonging, but you can find that with your partner. It does not have to come from family. It does not have to come from the church. And, um, yeah. I just don't, don't give up true love for unconditional love is mm. what I would say. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Or or for conditional for love. Conditional yeah, don't love. give up love for conditional love. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone's going to reject you based off of who you love, then choose the love that's, that's unconditional and is going to be there for you. And you can never go wrong if you did that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. So beautiful. And, yeah. you know, speaking
0: of other fellow queers, You now put recently put together an online hangout. Oh yeah, for fellow queers. So tell us about that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so it's very low key. So so kind of what what happened after the interview with Brenda, like I said earlier, is I I hunkered down. My Instagram was on private. I basically did nothing, put nothing out, and then. I spent like, it's almost been two years. And then recently I was like, okay, I'm maybe going to unprivate my Instagram because the thing was a lot of the couples that were in that video have very public platforms, including both of my um, biological parents. Mm. And um, they just kept posting whatever they wanted. And so I got to a point where it's like, you know what, Mm -hmm. Why am I the one who's hiding? Why am I the one who's having to like censor and like be quiet and stay still? Right. Um, and I and part of it was I needed that time for myself. I needed to recover. It was an insane time. But I was like, all right, I just I started to feel like I don't know. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna do this. I'm just gonna be more visible. And then and then my Instagram like got deleted for I don't know why by Instagram, mm-hmm. like it just like disappeared, and I was like, "What the?" So then I came back again. <laughs> you can't get rid of me. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, it's a very simple time where people we literally just hang out and and just talk about our experiences and you know and about a life. Zoom. And,
0: a Zoom, yeah. hangout, right?
2: Yeah, it's just a Zoom hangout. People bring drinks, and some people have partners. We have a whole entire spectrum of sexualities um backgrounds etc and um yeah we just talk about anything that has to do with being queer but i just i hopefully in the future things are i think picking up in my life and so i i really want to be a space for people to you know feel like i'm not weird like i'm yeah. not crazy yeah. i'm not out there and when you're queer you definitely feel like what the heck is wrong with me? Why am I like this? And it's just yeah, I just created that space. So people can come and hang out if they want to. Um, It's not it's not like a super um, serious or official thing. Because like, that's intimidating. But
0: yeah, um, but it's yeah, it's weekly, right?
2: Yeah, it's weekly. So every Friday night, we have like a two hour window. So some people come in for 10 minutes, some people come in for the full two hours. And everyone just like meets each other, hangs out. We do introductions in the beginning and then people just talk about their life. It's pretty, pretty cool.
0: Awesome. I so, so cool. yeah. love that. And anyone can be, you know, a part of that. It's, it's free. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's
2: free. There's no age range. And um, yeah, people sometimes we're, we're working out the time zone thing. Cause we have people from across the the united states so some people are like this is so late some <laughs> summer's in, <it's> early, so summers <laughs> like well
0: just come when you can
2: yeah so, well that's yeah, awesome that you have people,
0: people from like all over kind yeah, of tuning it's in that's cool great.
2: yeah it's pretty great so yeah um but yeah i'm I'm, gra- I'm so i went back to school so i'm graduating in like a month and wow, then I'm, congrats yeah thank you um and then i'm applying to master's programs. So I'm gonna do that, and then the goal is to then go to law school and do like immigration um, law would be would be the goal. So yeah, things are things are picking up. I'm very excited about life. Yeah, you're just a you're just a badass. That's all there's to it. Thank you. Thank
0: (laughs) you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just it was so fun to meet you in real life. I already knew, like, I felt I knew how I was gonna feel about you before but, but then i met you and i was like yeah confirmed i really like her
2: <laughs> I, liked you, I liked you too and that's i'm a very it's so funny so just for a little context for anyone listening so i'm like a low-key person in terms of like people had kind of heard who i was but i'm literally a nobody and so i went to this um i went to this weekend where everyone you know has their whole thing established and because of how things have panned out like i'm kind of just beginning like you know, being public or being, I don't know, just out there more. So people just didn't really know. And, um, yeah, Lauren was immediately just like so great. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Cause we started kind of messaging before. So I mm-hmm. felt like I like knew more people than just, um, just Brenda. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah.
0: Kind of created, started creating your space, even within just the online, yeah. which we've talked about before is like such a great tool to create friends.
2: Yeah, all oh my all of my really a lot of my really great friends have been from the internet, which is kind of funny. But I have a, like some long-term friends, but definitely making more now. Um but yeah, I, I'm also like just kind of a hardcore eight. So I kind of go into things and like, yeah, let's like, but I just appreciated that being unknown. Lauren was like, yeah, you're cool. I'm like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, where are you coming from? I don't know. So, Aww, I love that. Yeah. Uh,
1: we were just talking to Kevin uh, just this last week about just like online communities and, and yeah. how they can be just as vulnerable and amazing and freeing and connective. As as in person communities, so it's like Mm -hmm. I I I love that community, especially so the entire hangout that just happened was was based on internet friends,
0: like online connections, literally. Which is (laughs) when I was when I was there, I was at the the round table there in the Airbnb, and I was working on the podcast that was going to go live, the one with Kevin, Um, and uh, I. We definitely talked about it during that episode, but um, I also was inspired by the people around me and I titled the episode, my besties are on the internet.
2: <laughs> that's so fun. That is so great.
0: So I'm <laughs> like, it's just pretty like, re- like realistic or, or it was, I was very much inspired by my own life, I guess.
2: Yeah. I, that's so that's a thing. Like uh, I think which you guys, I'm sure hundred percent relate to is that. When you leave um, Christianity or when you deconstruct your faith, it literally feels like you've had everything taken away from you Mm -hmm. and you're lost and blindfolded and it's very dark. And you're like, where the heck do I begin? Where do I find community? Where do I find friends? Where do I find like literally everything? It feels like you're reset to kind of ground zero. Yeah. And I think the internet I'm just on the cusp of experiencing like is a great place to feel like, oh, genuinely. There's other people out there who yeah. love you, connect to you, um, are there for you, and I think social media gets a bad rap, rightly so. But I think that it can be used in ways that are just really powerful. As this example, this past weekend, that's so many people from so many different backgrounds just like come together, and it's it's the most genuine community I've felt in like a long time, and I was like, this is impressive. Mm-hmm. And Instagram gets a like for that you know yeah like and
1: follow yeah
0: Yeah. for sure so well um is it is it okay if we share your instagram and then um the queer nights online community um is that is all all good to share with uh yeah i'm very chill okay yeah very
2: chill i don't care
0: awesome (laughs) awesome well um you guys, you heard it. I will always leave everything in the description of the uh, of the episode, so be sure to check that out. Find her on Instagram. Find Stell on Instagram. Um, and uh, we we love you all. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, bye. bye.